If there was a meter that measured my self-esteem at age, you know, 12, 13, 14, I would say it would be zero. And when you have your own parent who has the same DNA as you telling you that you're nothing and that you're stupid and that you're dumb and that you're worthless and that you're just like your old dumbass daddy, then yeah, it takes its toll on you. He says, no, uh, Ms. Johnson, the, the, the test don't say you have a virus or that you have the flu. It says you're pregnant. Because it was in that moment that I wanted to die. And it was in that moment that I wanted the world to stop. And it was in that moment that I knew I couldn't keep living. I couldn't. There's no way I'll be able to face another day. And I definitely won't be able to face my mother. Six months later, I give birth to a seven pound, 13 ounce girl. I'm 14 years old. They don't know that not only is this the day that they get to meet my baby, this is also the day that I plan to end my life. Now they all leave at the same time, but I can hear my aunt in the hallway telling my mother and the rest of the family, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm -mm -mm, sad. I promise you, I could see my future self. I could see the woman that I was supposed to be. And in that moment, I knew that whatever she thought that I was never going to be, I'm going to be that. And whatever she thought I was never going to have, I'm going to have that and then some. And it was in that moment that I decided that I wasn't going to kill myself. I wasn't going to die. And I looked down at my baby and I said, we got work to do. Hi, and welcome to Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. I'm Andrew Ward, and we are back with season two. Hi, Kieran, how are you this evening? I'm wonderful, Andrew. Great to see you again. And did you have a good summer? We had a great summer. Um, you're in Ireland and England, and uh, didn't get as much rain as, as we would have liked, but um, <laughs> it's wonderful to get into the countryside in the fresh air. Fantastic. Now, we've got um, Kendra J on the show today, and this is quite a harrowing listen, isn't it? It is. It's 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 extremely lonely story, possibly one of the most challenging ones that we've had on the show. But great resilience, great determination, great skills for our listeners to um to to use within their own challenges in their own life. Mm. Yeah, Kendra fell pregnant when she was 14 years old and she didn't get the support and love that you would expect from her family. But the way she dealt with that and the way she overcame that, it's truly phenomenal, isn't it? It was phenomenal, you know. Um, she didn't have many people to help her through it, apart from one very, very special lady that I'll not tell you too much about, but I could see this lady come through in Kendra's eyes and her smile throughout the interview. It's a perfect example, you know, that there's always somebody out there that we can, that we can call upon on in our time of need. So this is Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. This is episode one of season two, and this is Kendra J. Kendra, thank you so much for coming to our podcast today. How are you? I'm wonderful, Kieran. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Kendra, what's your big why? What brings you here today? I want to be able to share my story and share my story with as many people as I possibly can. I wrote a book about it about three years ago, 
but it's still kind of difficult sometimes to tell it and not feel the way I did in that moment. So every time somebody gives me an opportunity to share my story, now I, 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 I jump at the opportunity, whereas before I used to be ashamed. I used to be embarrassed to tell people where I came from and how uh, my daughter and I are only, you know, 14 years apart. So now I jump at the chance. So that's why I'm here. That's my big why. And just to be able to let someone know, hey, if I can make it through, you can too. And if I can make it to this point in my life and be a role model for anybody or be a voice for anybody, that's what I'm here for. Wow. So Kendra, you've already given us a bit of a taste of what we're going to talk about here today. Mm -hmm. Kendra, what was your biggest challenge? My biggest challenge as a, a young person was having very, very low to no self-esteem. If there was a meter that measured my self-esteem at age, you know, 12, 13, 14, I would say it would be zero or even in negative, if that was the case. I always thought I was too stupid, too ugly, too, too black, you know, not enough of this and too much of that. And, and I was being told those things, unfortunately, at home. And so even as a young person, you know, young people, they suffer with a lot of um, identity crisis issues. And when you have your own parent who has the same DNA as you, telling you that you're nothing and that you're stupid, and that you're dumb, and that you're worthless, and that you're just like your old dumbass daddy, then yeah, it takes its toll on you. Wow. I can only imagine how difficult that was, and I'm so sorry to hear this. So Kendra, bring us back. What is your story? So my story started at 11 when I, my grandmother gave me full custody, gave full custody of my of me to my mother. And from then to that, to, the, to age 11 to age 14 is when all of the kind of verbal abuse started. But I want to just start with a specific date in uh, 1989, springtime. And I'm sitting in the emergency room with my mother. And she's dragged me, of course. She's, I don't want to be there. I want to be at home on the phone talking to my friends, you know, playing with my hair and looking at Beaded Magazine on the wall, things like that. Things other more normal teenagers want to do. But my mother is dragging me to the emergency room this day because everyone in the house has had the flu and I still have it. So she's making me go to the emergency room so we can get the medicine that I need to, to get better. So we're sitting there in this emergency room. And I want you to imagine, you know, it being, because I, I will never forget the way it looked and I will never forget the way it smelled. It looked like everything white, like a bleach bottle from the inside out. We're sitting there for hours. I swear we were sitting there for hours. And finally, the door is open and they call me back. Johnson? Johnson, that's me. That's me. Ooh, I was excited, right? So my mom is getting up behind me to go with me, and the nurse says, oh, no, 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 ma'am, no. You're going to stay here, mother, and we're going to take her in the back. You stay here. She stays behind, and then the nurse, you know, she was, you know, kind of surly, but, I mean, she was nice to me, but she was she reminded me of, of, of my grandmother because she's very snappy, you know, like, come on, baby. Now, come on, follow me. And I followed her back, and she had salt and pepper hair. She was about five, 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 six, and she had these glasses with chains on the end of them. I assumed that the, the, the chains were to keep the glasses from falling on the floor. And I paid attention because she was very snappy. And so I wanted to walk. She was walking fast, and I was walking fast. So we get back behind the closed doors, and she takes me to an examination room. And she says, you know, change clothes, baby. Put this on, and uh, we're going to take you to get these tests, and I want you to come back to this room and sit and wait for the doctor. Okay, okay. Yes, ma'am, because I was always taught to respect my elders. 
They take the test, blood test, urine test, you know, normal test. And I'm waiting and waiting and waiting. The nurse comes back, same nurse. She comes back. And this time, she doesn't look at me. She looks angry. And she was already a little, you know, sharp to begin with. And now she's looking like, you know, I've done something wrong. And me in my, you know, childlike state was like, okay, nurse, is, every, is everything okay? And she says, Mm. She crawls her face up at me and looks me up and down and says, I'm not going to tell you. I'll let the doctor tell you that. And she walks out. And as the door is closing, I can hear her tell the other nurse, that's the third one today. Don't make no sense. Now I'm scared. What, what, what is she angry about? Third one, what, what did I, what, what's happening? Now, the, the, the waiting time seems like it's taking hours was probably only about a few minutes before the doctor comes in. Now, the doctor is very sweet. He has a very stern face, very nice looking man, salt and pepper hair. He has on a white, you know, coat, just like the hospital. He matches the hospital, white coat, white orthopedic shoes, and he comes in. So we'll just call him Dr. White. He comes in. He says, how are you, Miss Johnson? No one had ever called me Miss Johnson before. You know, I'm a kid. No one had ever shown me that kind of respect. I was used to being called stupid and dumb. But Dr. White came in and said, Miss Johnson, how are you? And he spoke to me with a kind voice and he had very kind eyes. I remember that. And I said, Doctor, I'm worried. What? Okay, so I just asked the nurse and she, she wouldn't tell me what happened. So you continue, can you tell what's going on? Can you tell what's going on? And she was like, and he was like, Miss Johnson, have a seat. Then the room got serious. I gulped because I didn't know what was coming next. And he sat down across from me, and I sat down across from him. And before his back hit the chair, he said, Miss Johnson, what do you think? He grabbed his chin. What do you think the tests say? And I said, Dr. White, I don't know. I'm a, I don't know, stomach flu, flu, I don't know. Some, this cold or something that's been going around. He says, no, uh, Ms. Johnson, the, the, the tests don't say you have a virus or that you have the flu. It says you're pregnant. What? What do, you, what do you mean? That's not possible. He said, why is it not possible? And that's when I lost it. And that's that point in your life where every ounce of shame that you, you didn't even know what shame was until this moment. I didn't know what that shame, I didn't even know what that word meant until that very moment, because it was in that moment that I wanted to die. And it was in that moment that I wanted the world to stop. And it was in that moment that I knew I couldn't keep living. I couldn't. There's no way I'll be able to face another day. And I definitely won't be able to face my mother. So I'm crying, I'm crying, I'm crying. I'm literally wailing and just, just huffing and trying to catch my breath. And I'm... <sighs> This is, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, Dr. White, I'm so stupid, I'm so stupid, I can't believe it. He said, he said, he promised, he said, he said this. And Dr. White just allows me to be in that moment. He allows me to cry it out. He allows me to, the wave of emotions to come over me, and he, he allows the, the, the truth of what just happened and what he just told me to sink in. So a good 30 to 45 minutes go by, and I'm crying and crying and crying. Dr. White gently leans over. He puts his right hand on my left shoulder. And he says, Ms. Johnson, I know this is hard. But you're not the first girl that this has ever happened to. 
you're not even the first girl today. Now, I want to help you. But right now, I have to examine you. But when we're done, I want to I help you. Let's figure out a way to tell your mother. Six months later, I give birth to a seven-pound, 13-ounce girl. I'm 14 years old. I give birth two weeks before my 15th birthday. And this is the day that I am not looking forward to, okay? Because this is the day that all of my family is coming to the hospital to see the baby. And they're coming. And I'm, I'm in this hospital bed, and my baby's sitting there, and my mom is on this side. And they don't know that not only is this the day that they get to meet my baby, this is also the day that I plan to end my life. I had been planning it for six months. I had been planning it since the day Dr. White told me. But I couldn't take my own life and take the life of my child because my child deserved a chance. She deserved a chance, but she didn't deserve me as a mother. I wasn't good enough to be this child's mother. I'm too stupid to be this child's mother. I'm too young to be this child's mother. I'm not educated, and I'm too black. I'm too stupid. This child deserves somebody better. So I'm going to leave the way for someone else to raise her. I don't want to be the one that raises her. I'm too ashamed to be her mother. But right now, I have to pretend like everything's okay because my family's coming. So I'm sitting in my, my hospital room. I'm sitting, I'm sitting, I'm sitting. And my hospital room might as well have been a coffin at that point because Everyone is there. My mom is there. My grandmother's there. My brother's there. My cousin's there. Big cousins, little cousins. My cousin and his wife are there, and their children are there. Everyone's there. My whole family's coming in. And they're all smiling like, oh, look, she's so cute. But there's this unspoken tension in the room, like this sadness that nobody wants to talk about. And we're all smiling and all smiling. And it's just then my aunt comes in. Now, this is my my mother's youngest sister. And I like to call her the lemon. Why? Because she's small, she's yellow, she's hard on the outside, she is everything but sweet on the inside. And the lemon loves to tell people all the things that no one else wants to say, she will say them out, out loud. She likes to tell people's, other people's business, and she does not have any problem hurting your feelings. And here she comes. Give me the baby. Let me see her. Give me the baby. Let me see the baby. She takes the baby and she says, Ooh, she is so cute. Look at those eyes. She doesn't look like you. Mm. Look at the look at this hair. She must get this hair from her daddy. <laughs> Whoever that is. And she hands the baby back to my mom. Now they all leave at the same time, but I can hear my aunt in the hallway telling my mother and the rest of the family, this is the saddest thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm, 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 sad. Something happened in that moment. Something happened to me in that moment. I, I, to this day, the only way I can describe it is like time stood still, get that tunnel vision. Because in that moment, I became very angry. And I sat in that bed and I looked straight ahead. And I could visualize myself getting out of that bed, walking down the hall, tapping my aunt on the shoulder, saying, how dare you? Who do you think you are? How dare you say that to me? I just gave birth. I gave life. 
I put life on the planet. How dare you say that about me? Who do you think you are? You do not control my destiny. And I would appreciate it if you kept your opinions to yourself. But I didn't say that because I'm still a child. And I was always told and taught to respect my elders. But I was still angry. How dare she think that about me? And I stood straight ahead and I looked straight ahead and I swear to you, I promise you, I could see my future self. I could see the woman that I was supposed to be. And in that moment, I knew that whatever she thought that I was never going to be, I'm going to be that. And whatever she thought I was never going to have, I'm going to have that and then some. And it was in that moment that I decided that I wasn't going to kill myself. I wasn't going to die. And I looked down at my baby and I said, we got work to do. Wow. That is a story, Kendria. First of all, I'm so sorry you had to experience all of this. And, and I'm so happy that the lemon walked in, that your aunt walked in, because the anger that she gave you, I can still see it in your eyes right now. And see that passion and that drive that's making you the woman you are today. So, so thank, thanks to the lemon for, for, for making that happen and potentially mm -hmm. saving your life, you know? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Kendra, before we go back, tell me about, um, tell me more about this baby. What happened next? <laughs> well, you know, of course I, um, they would, she told me, my mother and my aunt used to make jokes about me and they still, of course, if they didn't like me before, they definitely didn't like me now. And I was the butt of a lot of jokes. So high school was not easy for me because I had my baby in grade nine. So I had three more years of, of high school to go. And um, everywhere I went, I was just, you know, the object of a lot of ridicule. People laughed at me and I was the butt of a lot of jokes, mainly from my mother and her aunt and my aunt. So when I graduated high school, I announced that I was going to go to college. <laughs> you going to college? Uh-huh, my aunt would say. College, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, who going to watch this baby while you go to college? Oh, I'm going to take her with me. Uh-huh. You say that. <laughs> Punk, I give her like three, three minutes. I give her three minutes before she'd be back in your house. They would bet back and forth. They would have conversations about me. And I was like, all right. <laughs> okay. So, of course... I graduate high school, I go to college. I'm the first one in my family to go. The first one with a baby, <laughs> with my child. Sometimes I used to take her to school with me. I said, bring your backpack, baby. You're going to do your homework while mommy does her homework. Okay. Then I became a teacher. I decided to accept the calling of teaching. And, and of course, same, same naysayers would say things like, you know, uh-huh. You know, you have to have patience to be a teacher. You know, you have to be smart to be a teacher. I'm smart. Don't worry, I am. <laughs> I am. So, of course, I got my teacher's license. Right after I got my degree, I got my teacher's license. Been a teacher ever since. Then I went back to school and got my master's degree. Then I decided that teaching overseas or teaching at home was great. USA, great. They have some issues, but they're great. So I accepted a position overseas, and I've been teaching in the Middle East ever since then. Now, that baby I had... 32 years ago, <laughs> that baby, she also went to college, graduated um, summa cum laude from Tuskegee University, a prestigious university 
in um, Alabama, and she has a master's degree as well and now works for NASA and has been for the last 10 years. Wow. You must be so proud mm -hmm. of your daughter. Yes. But also so proud of yourself, Kendra. Well, I like to, I give, the, give, the, I give her the props, but at the same time, she gives it right back to me. She's like, Mom, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for you. You've got a massive drive, mm -hmm. a wonderful spirit within yourself, Kendra. And, um, and it's just such a, such a wonderful, strong story. and so powerful. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, I've, I've got loads of things written down here that we could delve into. Okay. I'm curious about the conversation with mom, mm. Dr. White. Dr. White, I wrote down here cruel initially <laughs> because he was asking you. He was asking, what do you think it is? Is this as if he knew what you were getting up to, mm. you know? Um, I, I'm interested in to hear more about dad, if that's mm. possible. Um, and, and, and how things are with, with, with your family right now. But just bring us back to the conversation when, when you and Dr. White told your mother the news. Mm. So that day, I couldn't be consoled. I was unconsolable, and I was desperate to, you know, prove my worth after that. Um, they bring my mother in and uh, Dr. White actually talks to her privately. And then when she opens the door, she's got tears in her eyes. And then I'm already crying and she's crying. So we hold each other for a minute. Um, she didn't speak to me for about six weeks after that. We live in the same house, but she didn't talk to me for six weeks. Her and my, my aunt, her younger sister, they're very, very close because they both have the same kind of negative mentality. They would just talk about things that they would do is like, well, if you put her out, where's she going to go? She's only 14. You know, you could just put her out, put her out, you know. So my goal was to stay in the house as long as I possibly could, because I, I always knew every single day that she let me stay in the house, that it was a blessing from God. But when my grandmother got a hold of both of them, she cursed them out. See, my grandmother was always my hero. My grandma was always in my corner, no matter what. I could have set a bank on fire. She wouldn't care. She would say, she, she didn't do that. My baby didn't do that, right? You always got to have one, one person in your corner. So my grandmother cussed both of them out and said, we're going to deal with this as a family. I don't care what she did. And you're not putting my baby nowhere. <laughs> and if you put her out, she's going to come stay with me. And I promise you, you will never see her again. And they, they, they pipe down. Because even though everybody in this scenario is a grown-up, they still listen to grandmama, Right. So that's how that conversation kind of went. But there was always, and I do mean always, almost until this day we're talking right now, there's been a resentment between my mother and I. They don't make mothers and daughters like they used to, okay? There's always been a resentment between my mother and I because whatever she wanted me, she wanted me to be a version of her and hate myself for the rest of my life. And now that I have this baby, I'm supposed to hate myself for the rest of my life, and I never did. I never did. There was always something. There was always a hope and a pull. Since that day I sat in that, that hospital room, there was always a pull for me to be better, have better, have more. She was, unfortunately, she was not my role model. However, I did look very closely at her life and her sister's life and said, whatever they are, I don't want to be that. <laughs> whatever they are, I don't want to be that. Whether it's being negative and lonely and bitter and angry and hostile. I don't want to be that. So if you look at me and you look at her, we look exactly alike. She's my mother. We have the same DNA. <laughs> 
But if you look at my life and you look at hers, I'm just saying, <laughs> just saying. I'm just saying, they nothing alike. Mm. Now, as far as my father is concerned, I only saw my father 10 times in my life, my whole life, 10 times. And of those 10 times, eight of them were unpleasant. <laughs> eight of them were not pleasant. He was just as selfish and just as ugly and just as negative as my mother, which is probably why they were married, right? But, you know, because they had, they bonded, I suppose, over their their hatred for one another. But they hated, each, they hated themselves to the point where they attracted each other. That's what's sad about it. It's like one person that hates themselves, another person that hates themselves, and they get together and have a baby. Come on. <laughs> well, that was not a recipe for success right there. But I forgive my mother. I forgive my father. I've talked to my mother maybe once a month. Maybe once a month. And then I set the timer, Kieran, when I talk to her, because if I don't, she'll go on to a rant about how terrible I am as a parent, as a daughter. And she'll start to get into that negative mindset. She's gotten better over the years. So as she's gotten older, she's gotten better. But she still has a very negative, dark imagination, a very dark mindset. And according to her, me and my brother are the bane of her existence. We're the reason why she says, you know, her life is so terrible. So I don't listen to that very often. So I put the timer on for like seven minutes. And then when she goes into a rant, I'm like, oh, look at that. I got to go. Look at that. Mm, got to go. Somebody's at the door. I have to go right now. Mom, bye. Love you. Bye. Right. I tell her I love her. And I do. And I forgive her because I do. But that negative spirit cannot reside with me. It cannot be carried to the next generation. I had to put a stop to that. And I'm very thankful that my daughter and I are almost, you know, pretty much best friends and that we get along a lot better than my mother and I ever did. Um, but that was intentional. That was intentional. I was determined to never have what these people, these women showed me was love. That's not love. That's, that's self-hatred. And you want me to hate myself. And I can't do that. I'm the best thing since sliced bread. I'm the best thing ever. I'm the best kinder they, that God ever made. And if you don't see it that way, I'm so sorry for you. I feel really bad for you. And at this point in my life, I am, I'm exhausted and I'm tired of having to explain my value to people. I don't have that time. I, first of all, I don't have that kind of energy and I don't have that kind of time. So if you don't see the value in who I am and having me in your life, you can go. We can part ways. It's fine. Kendra, you're clearly a very strong and passionate woman. Mm -hmm. Um, would you say some of that comes from your grandmother? Yes, <laughs> all of it. Everything you see in front of you is Thelma. My grandmother gave me a glimpse of what womanhood should look like. See, if I had been raised by my mother 24 hours a day, 100% from first year, zero to 11, I don't think I'd be this woman. But my, my grandmother gave me a glimpse at what women were. She was sassy. She would... She could talk to anybody. She could walk into a room and light it up. She used to wear these fancy hats and these fancy clothes. And she wore these, you know, $100 pumps. And she would walk in there and talk to anybody and everybody. And then everybody was her friend. Everybody was her friend. Everybody loved Sister Daniel, Sister Thelma. Everybody loved her at church and, and you know, at the store. We couldn't go anywhere without people knowing who she was. And I... I'd like to think my I'm like that. I don't ever meet strangers. I like to think that when I get on stage or when I talk to people that I have that type of effect on people because I want to make her proud. I know she's looking at me and I want to make her proud. I mean, I, I know this is an audio, but I can see you here, Kendra, and the smile is just, uh, is, ju is just, 
it's, it's, it's amazing to see and um clearly your grandmother had such an impact and an influence on you you know so so that's great to see kendra we could talk about this for hours and hours and hours you know um and i could get delve in deeper and deeper but um we want to keep it short and sweet you you mentioned some strategies about your resilience uh, and i suppose the controlling element of of when your mom calls knowing when to switch it off for our listeners out there is there any other strategies that you can identify that that was successful for you goal setting when i was 15 years old and i would ride the city bus and people would look at me with this disdain like ugh when people would look up and down at me, I had already started to write down what I wanted to be when I grew up. I already started to write down the things I wanted to have. And for some odd reason, I can't, resp- I can't remember and place it, but if you give me a minute, I can think about it. But there was always this push and this drive to never be like these people that were raising me, to never be like them. And I just didn't take anything that they said seriously. They called me stupid and dumb like I'm not stupid. You, you, you know, I pass, I, I pass all my tests and I pass everything. I'm not stupid. So I started to everything that they tried to program, I would go back in myself and reprogram. Now, that's a lonely space to be in. So if there's anybody in your audience that is in that place where they don't think anybody um, understands them, they think they're you know, alone, they, they, no one else has gone through this. I promise you, it's a very lonely space when no one around you, especially somebody who has your DNA, understands who you are. It's better for you to just go into yourself and figure out who that person is and who you want to be. Because even at 15, I knew I wanted to be a college graduate, okay? And I wanted to have my own car and my own apartment with my daughter. And I wanted her to be with me. I wanted to raise her. That was another reason why I couldn't leave this earth because I was not going to leave her with my mother to be, oh, no, that was not going to happen. I would rather mess my own child up. No. (laughs) So if someone's listening and they're thinking, someone's told me that. Someone's told you that you're stupid. Someone's told you that you're dumb. Someone's told you you'll never mount to anything. You'll never have this and you'll never be that. Never listen to the people who are not where you want to be in life because I looked at my mother and I looked at her sister. Uh, you don't have anything. You don't have anything. You don't even have people around you that like you. I don't want that. So why should I listen to you? And that it was, for me, it was just that simple. Now, when, as I got older and sought help, because I, I had to go to therapy, Karen. I had to. <laughs> if you've had the childhood I've had, you had to go and seek help. When I was seeking help, it got a little bit deeper, right? But the simple thing that I did between, I would say, 15 and 21 was just I made goals and then I'd make a goal and I'd make that goal, then I'd make another goal. Then i make a goal, then i make another goal because it gives me something to live for. Gave me something to look forward to. And then I think about, and my, I've always been a master visualizer. I don't think that's a word, but I just made it up because I'm a school teacher and I can do that. Visualizer. I was a master expert visualizer. So I would sit for hours in my space and visualize the life I wanted. And by golly me, I have it. I've had it 10 years now. Had the life that I wanted and everything in it. Kendra, I'm so happy to hear this uh, and Mm -hmm. well done to you. You know, it's just fascinating. Before we go, Kendra, what would you like to say to the 14-year-old you? The you who was sitting in that clinic getting that news or maybe the you that was sitting in the house not wanted when people were putting you down. What, What would you say to yourself? 
you know, you're going to try me. You're going to make me cry, but I'm going to try <clears throat> to get through it because I did have to do that eventually. I did have to do that eventually. So um, it's a hard conversation to have. But what I would tell her is this. The people around you hate themselves. They don't hate you. You're just the object. You're just the thing. They don't hate you. They hate themselves. And if you stick to it, start making goals now. If you stick to it, you'll come out of it. Those same people that talk about you will be the same people that need your help. Those same people that laugh at you are the same ones that are buying your book. The same ones that said you would never be this and you would never have that. You're going to have everything that they have and then some. And they're going to wonder how you did it without them. And I would tell her that she is loved. I know you don't feel it. I know you don't see it. You don't get hugs. And no one's ever said it to you. But some, you are loved. Your grandmother loves you. Your grandfather loves you. Your brothers love you. Your cousins love you. And that baby. Beautifully put, Kenji. Thank you so much. So what is next? Ooh, the sky's the limit, Kieran. I just finished uh, a five-year goal-setting mission. I've done all the things on my list. I've, I've written two books. I was only had one on my list. I've written two now. Um, I've saw, seen all the places that I wanted to see. So now guess what? I got to make another list. So on that list is to sell a billion copies of the second book. My second book is about my career. It's not about my, my first book is about my story. Because there's a lot of things that happen between 14 and 47. <laughs> a lot of things. And so everybody always asks me, how did you get, you know, your child goes to, she's a mathematician. And she, you know, graduated top of her class. And now she's recruited by NASA. How did you get to that point? And so that's in the first book. The second book is about how I got to the Middle East and how I'm still a teacher here. And how now I help teach other teachers through whatever it is they're going through. Because trust me, I know emotional um problems. I know mental health issues. I know all of those things. And because I know them so well, I can help someone else get through them. I talk, that's not, that's all I do on my spare time is talk to teachers and get them through those humps and those hard days and let them know, Hey, it's not about you. I hugged a teacher today. She was crying. And so that's my, that's my goal now is to just be a conduit of knowledge and, 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 and concern and uh, just to let people know, Hey, I made it. I'm on the other side. I made it. Watch me. Look at me. Look how great I am. You can do it too, right? Excellent. And Kendria, where can people find your book and find out more about you? Oh, uh, sure. They can find my books. Both books are on Amazon. Uh, the first book is called um, Fat Meat Ain't Greasy. So that's my first baby here. And then my second book is uh, Teacher of the Year. That just dropped literally like last week. This one just dropped last week. So it's on Amazon now. And if you want the audio version, um, you can hit me up on my personal um, personal website. It's www.iamkendra.com. That is I-A-M-K-E-N-D-R-I-A.com. Thank you. Kendra, mm -hmm. thank you so much for sharing your story with us and our audience. I've got no doubt that will touch many people out there and very importantly, help many people. So Kendra, thank you so much. Thank you, Kieran. Thank you for giving me a chance to, to share my story. Pleasure. So, Kieran, that was Kendra. And I, I, I had an amazing story to start back with season two, wasn't it? 
a phenomenal story, Andrew. Um, just heartbreaking, absolutely heartbreaking. I, I, I'm struggling to get an image out of my mind of a 14-year-old standing in a clinic talking to a stranger who was the doctor, terrified of what her parents or what her mother was going to say. It's mental, isn't it? It's absolutely mental. Like, you've got young kids, I've got young kids, they're, they're younger than that, but... I just could not imagine a situation where my daughter would come to me like that and my reaction would be to be angry with it. It just feels insane. Yeah, to I mean, me. it, it, it was clearly not a happy household from the kind of stuff Kendra told mm. us about the pop me downs, the name calling, you know, it, it, it was just horrible. And, you know, for anyone, never mind a 14 year old, to have to go through that. Mm. And for me, I've got an image of the lowest point was possibly. You know, Kendra just sitting on the stairs, for example, at home, hearing her aunt and her mom talking negatively about, about her in such a lonely place. And it's, it's just such a horrible, yeah. it's a horrible thing to hear. And thank God for Granny. Yeah, what a, what a lady. Mm. What a lady. And I know this is audio, but for me, it, it, it's video as well. And Kendra's face when she spoke about her grandmother was just beautiful. You know, her... Her smile was just massive. Her eyes lit up. And, um, and she clearly carries her grandmother with her every day. And I thought it was really interesting what she was talking about with her goal setting. So I'm never sure about this stuff. I'm never sure about journaling. I'm never sure about visualization and goal setting. But she's a big advocate of it, wasn't she? Yeah, and that's the thing. You know, I work with many people and, and it's all about a toolkit, you know. So, for example, one, one client may find goal setting not very good. Another might find it phenomenal. One person might find visualization more powerful, which Kendra did as well. Um, you know, so there's lots of skills that we can use in the industry, in the coaching and teaching industry that will land with some people and not with others. But the key is you pick and mix. You find out, you practice what works for you and do it. You know, you practice what, what um, what something else that doesn't work for you, and then you just step, you know, put it to the side. Um, the key is to explore, explore what 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 you can do, explore what's in your control, and continue to practice. Um, determination was a massive one there, don't, mm. you know, a massive indirect skill she used. I don't know if you can recall, but as soon as her, I think it was the lemon, the aunt started criticizing and pretty much saying she'd no hope mm. that fight within her i call that the inner leader it came alive and that person simply looked at herself in the mirror and said i'm going to do my best here and i'm going to succeed for me and for my child and that was that was so powerful i suppose that's something that i was kind of come back to that ultimately when you come deep down to i know you always talk about your team you talk about having people around you and you you use different, you know, you draw on different people for different things. But ultimately, there's only you can only ever really rely on yourself. And if anything's gonna change, it kind of has to come from it has to come from you to start. You can't rely on other people to change you, to change your situation, you know? There's the nobody's coming. It's it's you've got to sit there and you've got to do it. Yeah, you, you gotta do it. You gotta take control, but you can, you know, you can get um you know, you can be influenced and inspired by many people around you. And that's where the allies come in. And that's, that's a conversation for another day. But again, it's about the toolkit. It's about exploring and practicing 
and um, and from a lonely perspective, you know, we could tell in Kendry's story, apart from her grandmother, she had nobody to talk to. Mm. She had nobody to talk to. So another, you know, for anyone listening out there, another powerful skill, which I'll always get back to, is just speak and talk and, and be there for other people in need. It's great advice. It's great advice. And it was a great opening to our season two. I'm Andrew Ward, and this has been Let's Listen with Kieran McBreen. Kieran, I'll see you next time.